Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Tuesday afternoon, late afternoon. And uh, I want to say something about Rosh Hashanah, idea head, and I want to really thank, as often and maybe as always, our good friend and supporter uh, Abe Luck in in, um, in Lakewood, Luck Plumbing, for uh, as always very generously stepping up to the plate, enabling us to put this out. And now I'll get down to the brass tacks. <clears throat> um, there's a famous, you know. As I said in the past, I'm sure I must have this in recent years. Uh, there was, of course, is a history to the kid chauffeur. Uh, it's not exactly the way we did today, of course. I think, as everybody knows by now, I'm sure most people listening to this. Uh, once upon a time, there were only you know nine colors, right? You know, tequila, true tequila, tequila, true tequila, 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 and then, under various circumstances, it turned into thirty. Or twenty-seven, if you count Shvarim true as a, as a, as a unit, but we call it thirty. From Rabbi Avo, who said he wants everybody in the, to do the same thing. Fine, okay. So went to thirty, and later went to sixty and ninety and a hundred, as we all know. But that's one historical evolution. In other words, the number of blasts. However, in addition to that, as I mentioned in the past, there is a history, of course to the very phenomenon of how Tekiah Shoba was performed. Or when? Consider well. In the Bayesrishan period, for example, outside of the base of Migdash, of course, um, according to the Rambam, there was no davening, no tefillahs, no shamanesre, no brachos, may I say. Look at the Rambam in the beginning of his tefillah. That all came later with Nanshik and That's when it commenced. So, what did it mean... I said, I've done this in the past. What does it mean? There's a mitzvah on every person to hear the shofar, blow the shofar, hear the shofar. It's a good question. What did a farmer in ancient Judah or Benjamin do? You know, or Yisachar Zulun and so forth. Time of the David Melch, time of and so forth. Uh, they didn't have shoals, as far as we know. And so, um, I mean, I'm going like the Rambam. So all you can say is, a guy woke up. Remember, it's a mitzvah seisha is man grama, so it's only a guy. And somewhere along the day, he blew, you know, tekiah through tekiah. If you want to take it to extreme, shama teisha kochas teisha shows yata. You know, you could he could put tekiah in the morning, and then after he milks the cows, he blow a trua, and then after he feeds the chickens, he blow a chaser another tekiah. That's one third, and then. You know what I mean? Then he uh, <laughs> prepared breakfast, and then he blew another tequila. Uh, because no such thing as as you can eat before you daven. There was no davening. The davening was informal. You said it whenever you want, however you want it, as the Rambam puts it. Ain't minions feel us Ain't my feel us So you think that everybody either had their own chauffeur, 
or else had somebody in their family or whatever in the farm they knew how to blow a shofar. And they blew it however they blew it. And if you go like high gong, it's mamish dealer's choice. A trua can be anything, a shawarm or a trua, or a shawarm trua. And so they blow a tekiya, and then blow a trua of some kind, and then blow a tekiya, and that's it, you know, three times. You know, do that three times. So um, it's very informal. How that remind you know, how that's supposed to be, like the Ramam says, Uru Yishem Yishinaschem and so forth, though, I mean, I don't know. They don't sound like it. Uh, how it's supposed to be, Hamamlech Malachim and so forth, I don't see that either. But okay, hold that thought. Then we know that Judaism evolved with the Second Temple and the Anshayim Sekdola, and they did create davening, and they did create some form of Shemun Esrei, as a tefillah b'tzibur of some sort. Whether they had a synagogue or not, you know, it's not 100% clear. In the diaspora, they did B'nai Yisrael not, it seems. Uh, but eventually that morphed and changed. And at some point, in Second Temple period, maybe at the beginning, the Sanhedrin, whoever, they, they, they paskin to embed the Tkiah Shofar in the Shemun Esrei, as we all know. Which makes sense, if you're starting a public prayer, and calling you Shemun Esrei, and of course in Yantav it's not Shemun Esrei, it's less. It's seven brachas altogether. So, uh, you know, blow Shofar then. Ah, you'll tell me they made a Malchus to the corner of the Shofar, so make it nine, you know, who cares? And that's when you blew the Shofar. Okay, so then you have somebody called Baltokeah, who blows for everybody else? Okay. Uh, at that time, according to Haigon, it still was dealer's choice. In this shoulder, you could do Tkia Trua Tkia, and this goes to be Tkia Shwarm Tkia. The other one could be Shwarm Trua. Okay, fine. We also know from the sources that originally you blew the shofar in, in, in Chazar Sashat, in, in Shemonesri Shachris, and then because of the Romans and so forth, they switched it to Musaf. The way we have it today, and so the Malchus they're going to show us ended up being, being in the embedded in the Shmones, right? Although it doesn't have to be, you know. In other words, if you hear the chauffeur without the Shmones again, it's not Makiv. So um, the main thing you hear the chauffeur because after all, Shmones is made up as Drabbanan, and the chauffeur is the Raisa. Now, um, so they had a situation in which now you, you blow the shofar during Shemonasri. But I'm wrong, because we know the Gemara tells us you have to kiss the Miyushov. That aside from what you blow in the Shemonasri, the Malchus Rechon Shofras, somewhere along the line, we don't know exactly when. The Gemara just presents it on Rabbi Yitzhak. We don't know when it came. Uh, they started this other business in which you have to kiss Miyushov, which means what you and I refer to colloquially as shofar blowing. Somebody says, I'm going this in the show. What time is chauffeur blowing? They're talking about the kids before Shmanes, right? I'm talking about Malchus Rechonas and Shofras. And somewhere along that came along line, Kedela Arbevesa Satan. And then you end up with interesting questions such as, okay, so now you make the bracha. And there's a lot of discussion this in the back in the Rishonim, you know. Lishmo uh, called shofar, whatever. First of all, you make altakia shofar, you know, the nusach, the matbeir, it feel, but I'm going to leave that aside. Eventually, but there's a bracha you make, a bracha's a mitzvah. Okay. 
when do you do that bracha? In other words, then the question became, if things evolved that way, so when is the main, when do you make the mitzvah, so to speak? Let's be halachic, briskers or something. You know, what moment is the kiyam of the mitzvah? Is it in the tekiyas miyosha or the tekiyas demubit? And you know, some Rishonim say this way and some Rishonim say that way. And, you know, if you know the literature, there's such a thing as hearing the shofar and Dafka not having in mind to be Yodze. That's, they bring it up when you, somebody's going to blow for women later on. So, uh, you know, some say like that. So the point is, as you see, that we're dealing with uh, a lot of, you know, unclear historical development precisely. As we know, it developed that you make the bracha as we all do today by the keys to Yoshev. Even if you're holding that the main thing is later on the keys to Mu'amit. Because those guys, as far as I'm aware, don't say make the bracha during Shimon Esri. When would that be? Is it in the Chazar session? Then you get a whole question. Do you do like Ashkenaz or Sfard? In other words, do you blow during the silent Shimon Esri or do you do it only by the Chazar shots? We're not getting into that. Unless you want to. As I've said in previous years, if you look it up, in Tufkov Tzadi Aleph in the tour, and elsewhere, you'll see, in some places, the in the silent Shemun they didn't do Malchus Zerchonis and Shavras, only did that in the Chazaras Hashats, knows as they call it, Mispalel Sheva, and other places they do like many, like you see, like we all do today, basically, which is you do Teisha, you do all Malchus Zerchonis and Shavras, both in the silent Shemun and in the uh, in, in Chazaras Hashats. I'm not personally aware of any communities that have the custom, which once upon a time was the Gaonic Yeshiva custom, and other places as well, that in the silent Shemonesri, they do not do Malkis or Shofar. But obviously, that reflected a tradition in which there's no Shofar blowing during the silent Shemonesri, only during the Chazaras shots. And then, like I said before, so when, who, and when, and what do you, would make the Bracha? Okay. So it's a mess if you try to historically reconstruct it. Now, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Um, oh, there's all kind of hints and stuff like that in the Talmudic sources, and we've shown him. But it, it's guessing, and notice we don't know really so well for sure, of course. But it's it's really interesting if you view it through the lenses that I'm about to share. I'm looking at the Balamor in the back, in the Gemara, uh having page Lombard Bays in the back on the, on the riff. And it's a famous and controversial Balamar. I think I did it last year. And certainly the vicious attack of the rival on the Balamar, we calls him every name in the book. And that's an understatement. Uh, but he suggests something very interesting. And that is that there's a very specific historical circumstances stance that led to the Tekiyas de Miyashev. Even though, the Gemara simply says, it's, um, you know, Kedel Arvis or something. But I'm going to share with you this year what I think it means. Uh, uh, I, I don't know, but I think. The Balamor says as follows, Umasha Nogu Litkoa called Tekiyas Kishen Yoshin, Umavarchan Aleim Brichas Tekiyah. This practice of Tekiyas de Miyashev before the Shemun And then you recite the Bracha then, even though it may be that the main mitzvah is actually coming later during the Shemun Esrei, I mean, if it's only Larvis of Sutton, then it's sort of like not the time you're but kind of mitzvah. 
If it's la'arbev, it's a sultan to confuse the Satan, whatever that means. That's secondary. That's setting things up so that the Satan will be confused when you proceed to be, execute the mitzvah of Tkiyaz shofar. You don't want the Satan coming and causing trouble during the Tkiyaz shofar one way or another. So it's not the main place that you should make the brach over there. So why do they do it? Right? You hear that? So he says like this, Masha Nagul is called Tkiyaz Kishen Yoshwin. Umavarchan Alein Berchaz Tkiyah. You make the bracha then, even though it's not the time that you're behind the mitzvah. Nearly, kilohoy you can't be made rabbi seno chachmei atalmud. He says this. He says the the the, the gemara doesn't talk about when you make the bracha. The gemara simply says that we blow the shofar before shmonesri to confuse the satan, but the gemara doesn't state when you make the bracha. So he says, I think in the time of gemara they didn't. The balamor. This is what he suggests. The risha. This is what I think. He says, I think in time of the Gemara, they did a takan somehow other than Shmonesri. I'd like to be a fly in the wall and figure out what they mean by that. Let me put it this way. <clears throat> Suppose you do like Sfar today, and you blow during the silent Shmonesri, which is something that entered my life, I don't know when, when I became rabbi, but Sfar Shol, no Sfar, it was as strange as anything to me. But okay, okay. So I could totally hear, you know, possibly, that uh, uh, how do you do it in no subscribe? Everybody's davening silently. Then when you come to one point, you know what is it with the malchus? You have a clop. I mean, I do this. I'm the rabbi, so you give a clop, and then the balkotokay blows. Um, you could hear that, and you know, and everybody silently stopped davening and wait for the for the tekiyas. It's a trick to uh, choreograph that, but it can be done. So, in this scenario, since everybody's now going to be Mekayim, the din of Tekiah Shofar, in the Chazar Sashat, or in the, excuse me, in the Shemona Esrei, the Malchis are going to the Shofars, in the silent Shemona Esrei, so maybe the guy who's the Baal Tekiah doesn't only blow it, but he also recites the Bracha. You tell me it's a Hebsik? It's not a Hebsik. If, if it's part of the liturgy of the ritual and one of the things you do one of the things you do is makayim the mitzvah by blowing during the Malchus Sechonis and Shofras it's not illogical to say that the Baal Tokia in the middle of Shemun since he's the Baal Tokia wants to give the klop he says whatever it is you know on the um, on the Tokia Shofar Shemir Tokia Shofar whatever the Nusach is whatever the brach is and and you know maybe everybody says amen and then he proceeds to blow and it's not a hapsik because it's part of the ritual uh, if it's Nusach uh, Ashkenaz so that doesn't happen so then it's probably easier everybody's already davin the chazan is just doing chazar sashats there are plenty of interruptions anyway for the, for the piyutim so then the Balkari gets up at a certain point of Malchias. And, you know, you give a clop, right? And everybody's quiet. And, and then he says the bracha, and everybody says amen, and so forth. Then he proceeds to blow. I mean, that could work. So that seems to be what the Balamor says it was the original plan. It's not what happened in the time of the Gemara. 
But the way we do it today, which is you make the bracha and do everything by the Tkiyas Tamiyosha, is Doris Achronim. More recent. No, it's the Middle Ages. Why? Mishum Cholin and Mishum Anusim. Because of sick people and because of Moranos. The Kanmi Venafki Mi Beis HaKnesses Lo Natri At Salusa De Mosafi. Because they come and leave, they, 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 they come in and leave the shul, you know, uh, I guess quickly, and they don't hang around for Musaf. So, uh, that's very fascinating. What does that mean? If you look at the Shem and Lamor on the page, which is all the way on the right-hand side in the bottom, these are comments on the Balamor. Shem and Lamor, get it? It's Balamor, Shem and Lamor. From a Sephardic rabbi in the 18th century, Malki was his name. He was actually the chief rabbi in Rhodes. So, some of the people... If my good friend Arya Greenberg in uh, I think Connecticut now, and the uh, friends in the Shoal in the Rhodes Shoal in uh, Seattle, and so forth. I mean, you know, the, there's the, the Rhodes Nusach, um, and they had their rub on him and all that. So one of them wrote a appears on the uh, on the Balamor, and Malki was his name. He was a big big uh, Sparty rabbi in the 18th century. So he says, "What do you mean, um, the Cholin and the uh, Anusin?" It could be that somebody is sick and therefore he can only make a quick appearance in Shul. And moreover, uh, right? They can only practice Judaism secretly, outwardly, they're going. Therefore, they can't stay a long time in Shul. They may be spotted by the Inquisition, by Goyim, and get in trouble. So, Kami Venafki, so they, they, they run in and they run out. No, they're in Shul for a very short time. As is known from Spain. I'll say what I just said before. This Sefer, Shem Lamor, is a commentary in the Balamor by a Sephardic rabbi in the Turkish rabbi in the 18th century. This is the time of the Inquisition. In other words, a Spanish rabbi living in those centuries totally understands the phenomenon of the, uh, what I said, the Cholin and, and the Anusim. Uh, and so what he means is, Balamor, that chauffeur blowing, here's the point I wanted to make, Chauffeur blowing is a very emotional uh, thing. Now, I don't know if it is today. I'm speaking now of a sensibility that I'm not sure is around today, but it was when I was a kid. Okay? Uh, Jewish life has become more polarized than ever. And what I mean is the from have gotten from and the not from have gotten less from. Because you have the massive intermarriage, it just has created a new situation. In earlier times, you had a phenomenon of a ton of non from Jews. But you certainly did. But there was a certain residual traditionalism that was very widespread for a very long time. And this traditionalism expressed itself, even if it was latent and small, by some gestures of attachment to Judaism, the Jewish people, and the Jewish tradition, even if they're few and far between. And therefore they were not insignificant, but rather quite significant. And I'm thinking of what we used to call when I was a kid, the one day or two day or three day Jew a year. The people, and there was a lot of them, in America and in other countries. And we have this in Jewish history. Don't fool yourself. 
in which you have very ho- totally assimilated Jews. They never had nothing to do with nothing, but they came for Yom Kippur. Or they came for Rosh Hashanah. And when I say they came for Rosh Hashanah, usually they came like for Yisker. You understand? If they came for Yom Kippur, they came for Yisker. Uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And if they came for Rosh Hashanah, they didn't come for Yisker, came for Shofar blowing. I remember people like this. If you're old enough, you're my age, you may remember people like that also. In which, you know, you never saw them. But they came once a year, twice a year. And this was their badge of identification with Judaism. And they came for shofar blazing, as they called it. And then they left. So what do I mean? Mamish, what are you saying over here? They came for the Tekiyas to meet show. They didn't hang around for Shimon Esri. And I mean, some did, but you know, it's a long history. Most of Shimon Esri, it's the longest of the year. You got the wrong guys for this. And they're not waiting hours and hours as, as the Chazan works his way through Musaf. The Chazar says shots. They came for shower blowing. And so Tkia, Trua, you know, and then they're gone, more or less. Okay? Uh, if it's the second, you know, it goes the second day, then Chaparain, because the Tkia Shofar and the, and, the, and the Yisker is back to back. So then they're really, you know, Yotzi both. Isn't that right? The, the, the Yisker and then the Tkia Shofar comes again back to back. And so that was their, their, their service. I'm talking about people who park in front of the shul, park a block away. They come in, they do their thing, and then they leave. Now, as a kid, we used to make fun of these people. Uh, now that I'm old, and you know, and one can. Now that I'm older and wiser, perhaps, uh, riper, so you see it differently. This was their way of saying, it ain't the greatest, of course. Uh, one could do a lot better. And it's a pretty sad comment on life, etc., etc., etc. But after I finished giving all my philosophical message smooth, the fact of the matter is the guy came, the lady came, and they're identifying with Jews. And that's extremely important. And it's like super important in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because these are main times of the year. So think about the symbolism of what I'm about to say. We talk about Rosh Hashanah saying Hayom HaRasolam, and more, moreover, you're crowning the Rabbani Shalom. So now you have all these people who came to see the queen burial, and that doesn't mean they're super monarchists or anything like this, but they're basically saying in England, you know, I'm an Englishman, you know, I'm a, I'm a British subject, and I identify, you know, with the queen. So we also, the person who comes from Rosh Hashanah for the shofar blowing, may or may not realize it, but what they're saying at an extremely basic level is, you know, I'm a Jew and I believe that God is the king of the world. I may not, you know, I'm not saying I'm I'm keeping a lot of kosher or anything like that. You know, I, my life is what it is. But I don't, uh, you know, deny what I have. Now, uh, I do know as well, increasing number of people, I'm sorry to say, where indeed, um, you know, they're now alienated, don't even come for brushing up Kipper. That's a more recent sign of an advance in, what shall I say, an advance in decadence. Okay, so that's sad. And that's something that's happened in my lifetime. But before that, what I just described was very common and very important because a person has to say, I identify with Claudius Yisrael. It's not a little thing, it's a big thing. When I was a kid, we used to say, a big thing is if you keep Shabbos or something like that. You know, something basic. Keep kosher. Just say I'm a Jew, big deal. But it's wrong. It is a very big deal. Now I'm speaking in old-fashioned sensibilities which were for centuries, centuries, which these were shown him, 
and early Achronim are totally familiar with. So what I'm saying is, don't think that this is something new. It only happened in Baltimore or New York or Chicago or something like that. You had it in Europe plenty. You know, um, who was it? I read a book not long ago. Uh, it was some kind of a sort of Hebrew bio or hero stories of the three day ish. And maybe you saw it. It's in Hebrew. And one of them had to do with a story, which I don't think is true, but you never know. And that is that they were talking about Walter Rathenau, who, if you know anything in German history, was a Jewish guy who was a self hating, self denying Jew. Uh, he wrote books reflecting his guilt for being Jewish. And I'm serious about that. And he was a huge uh, industrialist. And he saved Germany in World War I. Uh, he saved Germany in World War I economically. And if uh, you don't know what I'm talking about, you just look up Rathenau, R-A-T-H-E-N-A-U. Uh, so notice they put him in as, the, as the dictator of German economy to save Germany in World War I, even though he's Jewish. And his father, I think, if I remember correctly, made General Electric. I think he made General Electric. So, you know, big industrialist. And... Uh, what was it again? This Walter Rathenau had nothing to do with Judaism, Walter Rathenau. But the guy who was telling the story, I don't think, maybe it was the 3 days. I, I, yeah, I haven't looked at the book in a while. He said he remembers that he would come in a big limo, uh, you know, limousine, one Yom Kippur, four Yisker or something like that, you know? And that was that was his one act of the year of identifying with Klai Yisrael, but it was significant also. And the way the story was told in the book, I can't believe it's true, but I'm just the way the story is told in the in the book. You know, um, <laughs> the three days was telling over the story, or somebody was telling over the story, and you know, a guy got up in Eretz Yisrael from Gaza. So I guess that's my grandfather or my great uncle or something like that. You know, and I'm from, and now I'm a from guy. It's a little too whatever, but such things did happen. Is my point. Okay, so. The coming and the chauffeur, more than the Yisker even, uh, became associated with a kind of a mystical um, appeal or something that, uh, you know, touched people who didn't have any Jewish identity deep, deep down in a place they didn't realize. Ad kedei kach, Dr. Balamor, that uh, the Rabbonim, whoever it is that made the Doris Wachronim, were making the rules and the halachic rules about when you do the bracha, and from a technical perspective, you sh- it's more proper to make the bracha and shofar during the Chazar Sashatzim, or, or the Shemon Esri in one form or another. But it, it was so important to them to accommodate uh, the people I just described, to accommodate these Anusim, uh, that they moved the bracha back. Now, Anusim is even more an interesting story. Here you have people who, I mean, you know what the Moranos are. And it doesn't only have to be the Spanish and Portuguese Moranos, there were other cases as well. Because in the time of the Balamor, there was no such thing as Moranos. He was in the Provence in the, uh, I guess, uh, 1100s. But doesn't matter. Throughout history, there were individual Jews in everywhere who under one circumstance or another found themselves not Jewish anymore, that is, having converted or whatever. But deep down, wanted to remain Jewish. Now, you could write a book on this, or a mini-series, as I always say. 
And there are as many true stories as you can imagine. And you have a person now who's now a Christian, or a Muslim, let's say a Christian, and it's the year 1100, 1200, or something like that. And how he became a Christian, a lot of possible ways, answers to that question, a lot of possible answers. And deep down, he wants to feel Jewish, but he cannot practice it. So maybe he's being watched, maybe he already married a guy, who knows? I mean, so many possible scenarios. But he knows Rosh Hashanah is coming, and he knows atavistically, you know, just from Kishkas, that, you know, the main part of Rosh Hashanah is the chauffeur blowing. And this is not a yeshiva-trained guy, or a halachic expert, or somebody who knows Farim, or anything like that. He's a plain Jew that, you know... He knows Rosh Hashanah is, is, is the shofar blows and is the important part. The other stuff is, 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 is you know, what's the right deal is for it? Take it or leave it. And I'm not talking about a question if he follows the Shulchan Aruch. None of that. He knows Rosh Hashanah is about shofar blowing. And there's something dramatic about the blowing of the shofar, or at least it was. And, uh, and he wants to be there. And these guys show up in Shul. And the other Jews know it. And the rabbi knows it. And they're well aware that if you make a big hullabaloo about him and look at this guy, you get the guy in trouble. And so the shprach goes like this. Just ignore him. You know, don't don't bother him or her. And let them be here for show blessing and let them leave. We totally understand. And in order to accommodate these people, it sounds like people who are forced to convert to tell you the truth. That's what it sounds like. But it could be all kinds of situations. You know, in order to accommodate them, let's move the entire bracha of the Tkiah Shofar to the Tkiah Demiyo Shofar, because you want to know something? For these people, that's when they're going to be Mekayim Demitzah, because they ain't saying, they're not hanging around for the Shemar Nesrei. They could get in big trouble. They could get killed, possibly, uh, if they're hanging for Shemar Nesrei and they're reported in the synagogue. Um, that's quite a story. Uh, and so they're willing, according to the Balmor, they're willing to... Uh, Move around the bracha, because for a certain element in the shul, that is when the bracha is going to be, that's when the mitzvah is going to be mekayim. And you know how it goes, even if a person converts 20 times, that doesn't obviate you from the obligation to mekayim the mitzvah. Like I always say, there's that famous story of Vilna Gon, who, and the Rambam talked about this also, but the Vilna Gon was, according to the story, once in jail for a while, and the guy who was his jailer, the story goes, was a Meshomit, and the Vilna Gon said something along the lines, you're not going to burn in hell just for converting your religion. You're going to burn in hell because you didn't wash Negevasa this morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, you, just because you converted doesn't mean that you're putter from any of the Tariq Mitzvahs. So, you know, good luck to you. Uh, so they know a person could be a Newsom. For, for all I know, it could be a Catholic priest. You had such stories. You had such stories. Or none. But secretly, they want to hold on to their Jewish identity. And the one Mitzvah they do is they come to here to show for it. That's really dramatic. You got material here for at least a high school play, and the truth of the matter is for a movie. Because this did happen. Now I'm going to tell you, Viker. Um, I want to carry this even farther. Uh, we do know, and you've probably heard this, that the mission in Paragimel in Rosh Hashanah is very famous. It talks about blowing inside of a hole. Hatakela tochabor, tochadus, tochapitam, pitos, whatever. You know, and they talk about did you hear the sound of the chauffeur? Did you hear the sound of an echo? Right, everybody's learned that one time or another. I'm fairly sure. And what's going on over here? How to kill a tochabor, a tochadus, 
you know, like, why is somebody blowing into a into a hole in the ground or something along those lines? So it's very famous. Uh, maybe the Bartunor brings it. I remember the Rav Haigon says, I think it was Rav Haigon, that um, it goes back to the time of Anusim and persecutions and things like that, when it was dangerous to uh, blow the chauffeur. Uh, let's see here. Well, I don't see it in front. It's it's there somewhere, right? That this was done in the time when it was when it was dangerous. You get the Mishnahs, you get the article or something like that. And uh, you've heard that before. I'm not telling you something for the first time. And uh, therefore, what does that mean? Uh, there were Jews who wanted to blow the chauffeur anyway, but you couldn't do it outside. You can get in trouble. Therefore, they had to do it surreptitiously. How am I, you, you've heard stories in the concentration camps where, again, it was forbidden to blow the chauffeur and the Germans used any excuse to kill you and people nevertheless did it. I had a guy in my show, uh, Menashe Shamroth, who died about 20 years ago, so a little more. And he was he was a big let's and all that stuff, but he was in Auschwitz and he blew the chauffeur there under a, uh, under a blanket. You know what I mean? And it was him and a couple guys got together and they blew the chauffeur. And I have another guy in my shul who's still alive uh, in his 90s, and he heard it. You know, it happened to be in the same camp or something like that. So such things happen in recent memory, is what I'm saying. Uh, so Rabbi Gon said this is going back to that time. Now, so the Gon and Manolers had an oral tradition that uh, this is how it works. Here, hold on for one second. Now, same as over here, I'm looking at the Art Scroll English um, Rosh Hashanah, the Mishnah. Rav Haigon explains that while our Mishnah seems to be describing a rather unusual case, no, the guy blows his chauffeur into a pit or a cistern or a cask, it was formulated at a time when foreign rulers of the Holy Land, in an attempt to eradicate the practice of Judaism, prohibited the performance of the mitzvahs, thus forcing Jews to use clandestine methods to fulfill their religious obligations, is a quote from the Ron. So, um, Question then becomes like this. So what are they talking about? First of all, I don't know. Nobody knows. I mean, it's an interesting vart from the Rehaigon, but what historical circumstances is he referring to? Well, the only way I figure you can try to figure this out is that just ask yourself, historically, when was the practice of Judaism prohibited pre-Mishnah? And, you know, two possible answers suggest themselves. One is, from the Maccabean persecutions, you know, Antiochus and those guys. Maybe. It's a possibility. You'd think that the Gemara would say so, but well, it could be. And the other one would be the Hadrianic persecutions, when they killed the Sarin Rehugim Malchus. Maybe. Which is really very early before the Mishnah. No, it was right around the time of the Mishnah. Uh, you know, in other words, that's when they killed the Rabbi Kiva and all the rest of it. So, uh, it could be. You know, it's totally possible that the mission we're looking at dates from the Roman times and from the Hadrianic persecutions, even though they really were episodic because the Hadrianic persecutions of Adrianus Caesar lasted really a very short time. But, you know, could be that one of the things they said, you can't blow chauffeur, you know, it's plausible. Uh, but I'll tell you what I think. Uh this is a guess on my part, but based on what the Balamor says, you know, I think it could be 
I would modify Reb Haigon's head, and I would say it's not from a time exactly when foreign rulers attempted to eradicate the practice of Judaism, but rather when people were forced to convert for one reason or another by foreign rulers or, or other situations, and those Jews wanted to secretly practice Judaism. No, it's not regular Jews, secretly practice Judaism. And Kiyashover is a big deal, as a big mitzvah, and it's something they wanted to do and they were willing to do inside of a pit or inside of a cask or inside of a, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? Inside of a, you know, a cistern. Uh, so notice it's talking about Anusim of, of, of one kind or another. Uh, and I don't doubt that in the time of the mission and other times, you had such people. Let me be more exact. You could be people who switched over to the Roman side, like, for example, in the time of the Barcoch Rebellion. But not only that, all throughout the Roman occupation, there were always some people who, for mercenary reasons or other reasons, switched over and became, you know, Romanized. Pagans or this, that, and the other. I get it. But deep down, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, they feel the tug. And they feel the emotional pull. And something deep down, so I guess I'm going to hear silver bloom. But it's dangerous. And so they're going to do it. But And I'm going to go weiter. The Mishnah goes on to say, over Achori if a guy was walking in the street in front of the shoal or behind the shoal, we've all known, this is familiar. If you're walking by and you hear about curry, the Baltakia blow, it counts as long as you had come under the Biyotze and the Baltakia had come under the Biyotze. But it says, V'chein. So listen what I just said. And then it's followed by so what do they have in common? One of them has to do with whether or not you hear an echo coming out of a pit. The other one has to do with whether or not, you know, you're Yotze when you hear somebody inside of a shul that you're not in the shul blowing or something like that. And again, I'm going to read you from the art scroll. Why do you say V'chein? So the similarity between the previous case and the following one. No, there's a similarity between the case of HaTokel Adoch and all that, and about the echo, uh, versus the case of walking by the shul and hearing the baltokea. In both cases, the person blowing the shofar and the one listening were not in the same location. That's from the Tosis Yontav. You know, not so great. Alternatively, in both cases, we have two people hearing the same shofar being blown. One fulfills obligation, one doesn't. Maybe. This was Shash. It should be noted, however, that in some readings of the Mishnah, the chain is omitted. So in other words, because it's a little bit dochig. Unless you say what I want to suggest. It's just a suggestion. And I think, this year, that when it says, me, chain me, knesses, in the Mishnah, I think they're talking about, quote-unquote, the Moranos. In other words, think about this. I could totally hear this, and so can you. A guy wants to go hear chauffeur blowing. And he's now officially a pagan, a Christian, a Muslim, something like that. So the Balmor I guess he's Kadmi Vinafki. He runs into Shul very quickly and leaves very quickly, hoping nobody will see him. But you want to know something? That's dangerous already. I think that what happens is the person makes it his business 
to walk on the street happened to walk in public along the street, just quote-unquote coincidentally, at the time of the shofar blowing, and then he hears the shofar in the Baltokeah. That the Achein Mishoya over Achoria Abayis, I think the Vechein means there's another case in Moranos. The the uh, Haigon says the first case about one who blows into a pit is talking about a Morano type situation, and so is the other one. The guy is walking by the shoal so he can nonchalantly hear the shofar blowing, and the Mishnah Taka tells you like this: as long as he had Kavana Biyotzi and he's hearing it from a synagogue, Baltokea, which the Gemara says the Baltokea in the synagogue has in mind that anybody who listens should be Yotze. So he is Yotze. So there you have a real human tragedy. You could have a Galach walking in front of Shoal, quote-unquote, at 9.15, so to speak, or 10.15, whenever the shower blowing is, or 11.15, and he's just minding his own business. He's walking his dog. You know, he's maybe walking, holding on to a big cross. You understand? And uh, meanwhile, what's happening? He, uh, he hears him coming from the Shoal. And you want to know something? Mishnah says he's Yotze to Mitzvah. He is the chauffeur, and it and it hits him in some way, and uh, you know, and, and then he goes on his way. So, do I say that this person comes back to Judaism? That's as many scenarios as you want to write movies about. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. You know, like I say, I could totally see that you have a nice novel. If there are any novelists, boys or girls listening to this, and you want to write a very gripping novel, you're probably going to call the chauffeur or something like that. The key chauffeur. And as a result of the fact that here's the chauffeur, he goes on and runs away and, you know, embraces Judaism again. And I don't doubt that such things happen. But even if not, he's he's touched, you know, something has has touched him, the, the sound of the chauffeur. And for whatever reason, it's a mystical power. And I don't want to sound frummy dummy. I'm just, I don't mean, I, I, I'm saying emotionally. You see? It, it, it had an emotional effect. This is the old Judaism when things like chauffeur just had an effect on people, uh, and we see this from many, many different sources. If this is true, then, then you see, why do you blow the chauffeur from Yushav? Based on Balamor? Why do you blow the chauffeur from Yushav and make the bracha then and all the rest of it? So I read it, and so do most people, that why did they move the bracha then to the Kiyas to Yushav? And the reason is because then these Anusim are coming in and out, you know, you want to accommodate them. But it could even mean, and again, this is just a guess on my part, but I'm, I'm sharing with you my historical guesses. Right? Uh, I don't know it, I'm just guessing. It, it could be that the whole Tkiyasim Yishuv was invented for these Anusim types that have been in every time and place. And when it says, Kedila Arbe Vizasatan, then it could be not what Rashi typically says, which is the Satan is scared, or uh, Tosus, you know, he's scared of Yamamisa, or he doesn't know how to do so. Larvim is a sudden, is to confuse the Satan of the person's apostasy. You get it? Because the person's Yetzirah, once he is apostatized, says, don't have anything to do with Judaism whatsoever, you're not a Jew anymore, and why even bother, and give it up, and move on, and embrace the other religion that you've already joined physically and formally, and sever all your ties to your former uh, life and existence. And there's something inside of him that says, yeah, but part of me is still Jewish. Maybe really, really, really deep down I am actually still a Jew. And the chauffeur was taken outside of the Shemun Esrei, which is a long, complicated business. You can't expect people to, to be there for. And all they would be there for was Malchus. You know, I'm just here, Tashrat or Tashat or something like that. 
and instead concentrate the whole thing in a separate, rather quick ceremony prior to the Shemona Esrei, then anybody can even walk on the street and overhear Misha Ahoy over Achuri basic Knesses as the um, as the what he called as the um, Mishnah puts it, and Bashama call a chauffeur, and it could be think about what I'm about to say, it could be that they know that outside people walking on the street, and secretly they're listening to the chauffeur even if he's holding a cross in his hand, because he got to, and uh, and the Baltakeh has him in mind. The community knows this, and the community says like it's Nebuch, These guys are stuck. It's it is what it is. But, um, you know, maybe we can encourage them to come back. Uh, maybe they can maintain their ties to Yiddishkeit. And as I said before, they're acknowledging that some mitzvahs they still have to keep. I mean, I, you know, the, the psychological possibilities are endless, but it's fascinating. And then your Ma'arviv is a Satan, because the Satan says, I guess, what the heck are you doing in a shul or walking in front of a shul in Rosh Hashanah? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not where you should be. You should be in church. You should be in the mosque. You should be in the Roman, uh, you know, Colosseum or something like that. Uh, why are you making your business to hear the chauffeur? Uh, and, you know, and, and when that guy hears the the call of the chauffeur, his Yetzirah is like very confused, right? His Yetzirah is very confused. Now, I'm not saying that the guy necessarily has a pure Maimonidean experience, you know, where the Rambam famously says, Uru, Uru, Yeshen, Mishanaschem. You know, I mean, that's already high matreka. Maybe it happened. Maybe it happened. But one thing you know, a prick, he certainly gets uh, to his conscience. A prick is certainly applied to uh you know his his Yetzirah. Um the, the Yetzirah doesn't want the Satan if you wish doesn't want the guy to hear the chauffeur and the guy is hearing the chauffeur. So I like I said before Libby I'm really I'm just uh, throwing this out as a historical suggestion. I think there's something to it um uh, that the uh evolution of the Tkiestamiushov and the Bracha there all the rest of it Especially based on this Balamora. But you have to use your match a little bit more and amplify it, as I said before, in the Lashonas of the Mishnah. Uh, do reflect the historic reality that's been around for a long time, which is that um, there always were these Jews that are quote unquote lost souls, but not totally lost. And the Pentelegi was still there. And the sound of the chauffeur somehow or other hit him. And I don't know, you know, what effect it had on them, but it had an effect. Today, in this day and age, you know, I don't know. There is a famous form of Yisrael Salanter in in, um, in his, uh, what's it called? You know, the, or Yisrael or something like that, where it says the chauffeur doesn't do the same thing like it used to do. Doesn't have the same effect on people anymore. That's why he says, you can't rely on the chauffeur anymore, sir. But once upon a time, people relied on the chauffeur. So I throw this out there for your consideration. And uh, I conclude once again by thanking our uh, instant sponsor, uh, Gluck's Plumbing, uh, Abe Gluck in, in Lakewood. Thank you very much. And I hope uh, this will give you some food for thought on this coming yantar. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com. 
www.rabbidavidkatz.com.